Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. In 1908, uh, in the 1908 Olympics in London, uh, an Italian runner by the name of Deandro Petri started a marathon race in the Olympics with 56 other competitors. Petri started off really slow. He was in the back of the pack, and, uh, and he decided just to turn it on. About the halfway mark, man, he got this power surge and started running like crazy. By the time he got to the 20-mile mark, he was in second place. Now, that's an incredible feat. Well, he ran harder at an unprecedented rate, and by the 24-mile mark, he had taken the lead. When Petrie began, he began then to feel the effects of dehydration and fatigue. And so the race goes out of the stadium and it ends by coming back into the stadium. And as he is headed back into the stadium, he took a wrong turn. <laughs> I don't know how that could happen, you know. <laughs> Who's in charge here anyway, right? And, but somehow he took a wrong turn. And when he did, he fell down. And one of the umpires came and helped him get up and pointed him in the right direction. And so he entered into the stadium, and believe it or not, he fell down four more times, and each time an umpire helped him up. And after falling down a total of five times, he still managed to finish the race in first place with a total time of two hours and 54 minutes and 46 seconds. But here's the killer part of the story. A complaint was filed against him that the umpires had helped him up, and so they disqualified him. His name never went down as an Olympic winner or a medalist, and neither did his time, his record time, ever go down in history, all because somebody helped him up, all because somebody disqualified him. I want to talk to that person in the room today. You might not be a physical runner, but Paul says we're all in this thing called a race. And sometimes, how many of you know this, sometimes life wants to disqualify you. Sometimes people want to disqualify us because we've fallen down somewhere. We've skinned our knees. We got, we got skeletons in the closet. And sometimes because we haven't walked a total straight or run a total straight race. How many know there's always people that want to disqualify us? Because we didn't run the way they thought we ought to run. Who I want to talk to today is I want to talk to those that have ever fallen down. I want to talk to those who have ever turned the wrong way and zigged when they should have zagged. How many know what I'm talking about, right? You see, we're in this. I really want to help those that have fallen and somehow it's gotten in your mind that because I failed, because I fell down, because I disappointed somebody, because I disappointed myself. Because I have shadows or skeletons in the closet, somehow you've bought into the idea that you are disqualified. Well, it's not an accident that you're here today because I want you to know you're not disqualified because of your past. You are qualified because of the blood of Jesus and what he has done for you. Amen, everybody. So we're in this series and we're examining the lives of the great heroes in Hebrews chapter number 11. In Hebrews chapter number 11, I call it the Hall of Fame. Every verse... Uh, pretty much starts off with uh, by faith, and then they'll name a Bible character by faith, so and so did such and such. 
And if you really look at those names, what you will discover is that every single one of those people that we applaud as heroes today are people that have fallen down or taken detours in their race. And then Hebrews chapter number 12 then opens up and it paints this really vivid picture for us. Because after all these people that the Hebrews Hall of Fame lists, it says, Now therefore, since we're surrounded by all of these great giants that have gone on before us, people, men and women that have fallen down, men and women that have found God's grace, and because we're surrounded by them, let us take courage and run our race. So today, ladies and gentlemen, there will no longer be an excuse for why you're not going after the plans and purposes that God has put in your life. Here's how Hebrews chapter number 12 opens after all of Hebrews 11. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is all of them, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Um, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We're running a race, everybody. And it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I haven't really preached verse number two, but let me just say a couple things about it. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We don't need to keep our eyes on the pastor, because he'll let you down. Uh, You're not sure to amen there or not, are you? That was kind of a trick-loaded question, wasn't it? Thank you for your generosity, by the way. Sometimes we get more passionate about our church and the style of our church than we are keeping our eyes on Jesus. How many have already recognized we can't keep our eyes on politics? Uh Uh-oh, taboo subject, right? We can't keep our eyes on anything. It says we got to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is, this verse says, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. One translation says the author and the finisher. In other words, he is the beginning of the race and he'll be there at the race. And oh, by the way, aren't you glad he's in the middle of the race also, right, everybody? And so I got to thinking, what would it look like? We showed that video the very first week of Derek Redmond's father coming out of the stands in the 1992 Olympics after Derek Redmond fell on the ground. His father pushed his way through the stands and got up under Derek's shoulder, and together he helped limp him all the way across the finish line. And we don't know, but they were talking back and forth, and there were tears, and there was motivation. And I got to thinking, what would it look like If you and I that are in this thing called this Christian race, this this journey, what would it look like if the Bible greats could jump up out of the crowds and every once in a while when we need it most, come shoulder up underneath us and run one lap with us? What would they say to us if they could just boil their whole life and their experience with God down to one sentence? What would be the nugget they would give us as we run our race? And if you were here week number one, we found Noah coming up out of the stands. And his word to us was that one man can make a difference. Week number two, Abraham comes pushing his way out of the crowd. And he reminds us that we ought to expect delays and expect detours in life. I don't know anybody that's been heading toward something specific in life, a prize, a goal, an agenda, a vision, that you haven't had a detour or a delay. And if we get discouraged in them, we may never reach the goals that God has for us. Then the week before Easter, we found Rebecca, a lady, makes an appearance and pushes her way through there. And she tells us that we ought to live life generously. Because one of the greatest things that will give you courage is when you give courage to someone else. The Bible says that a generous man will prosper. So when we help encourage others, we ourselves find encouragement. And that's what we learned from Rebecca. 
Well, today, we're going to hear from a most unusual hero. Matter of fact, most people wouldn't call her a hero. Most books wouldn't describe her as a hero. If I hadn't read about her in Hebrews chapter number 11, I might be a little hindered to call her a hero myself. She, she had fallen so many times that she thought she was disqualified. As a matter of fact, she could show up to some churches and some churches wouldn't even let her in. She could show up to some places and the church membership would disqualify her. She wouldn't, allowed to be, she wouldn't be allowed to be on the dream team. It's one of the reasons around here we make it our value that you're allowed to belong before you believe. Oh, that makes some people nervous when I start talking like that. I said you're allowed to belong before you believe because it's here that you're on the journey. Every single person, oh, I'm going to say it whether you like it or not, every single person, whether they're Democrat or Republican, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're gay or straight, come on somebody, every person, whether they believe in God or don't believe in God, everyone has the right to come in here, sit in a black chair and discover truth for themselves and discover the grace of Jesus. Come on, everybody, right? So yes, you're allowed to belong before you believe. And, and a lot of times what religious people hear me say is that anything goes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. Matter of fact, acceptance does not equal agreement. I don't know why we've become such a polarized society that the moment someone believes something different, we excommunicate them and start Facebook talking about them. How many know what I'm talking about, right? No, we've got to be willing to accept people that we don't necessarily agree with. I don't even agree with myself half the time. How many can relate to that, right? And so here she comes out of the stands to encourage us. Her name? Her name is Rahab. Maybe you know her. Maybe you've read about her. If you don't know her, let me tell you, her profession, she's a, her profession is prostitution. I wonder what could she possibly say to a bunch of church-going folks. Yeah. She might come out of the stands and first, before she gives us her advice, she might first say, are you disappointed with your life? Are you disappointed with decisions you've made? Are you disappointed... With the, with the quality of your life where you are right now? Um, are, are, you, are you disappointed because you're not in life where you thought you would be in life by now? And by the way, she starts off really bad, but Rahab, if you know her story, she becomes one of the great, great to eight times grandmother of Jesus. What does that teach us? It teaches us it doesn't matter where you start in life. It matters where you end up in life. Come on, right? As a matter of fact, I think she said it way before me. I think she would say to you, where you're at is not where you have to stay. Right, everybody? Rahab, I think here's what Rahab would say. I think Rahab would say, when you're feeling disappointed with your life, I think this is her word of advice as she runs a mile with us. Let God... Write your story. Let God write your story. I know many of us at one time or another, some of us right now, we like to think we're holding our own pen. Come on, everybody. I'm a self-made man. I pull myself up by my bootstrap. Somebody told me that one time. I said, if you're a self-made man, you're not much. Because how many know we need a lot of contribution into our life by a lot of other great men and women? Come on, everybody, right? Right? 
And, and I think she would say, you need to let God write your life. You need to relinquish the pen and say, God, write your plans and your purposes and your destiny on my life. I don't know if anybody ever gets excited about Psalms 139, but if you're wondering about God writing on your life, I challenge you to go read Psalms 139. Here's a couple verses out of it. It says, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Watch this. I want everybody in this place to know you're not an accident. Because the Bible says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Ah, my imagination. I just like to think of God in his laboratory, and he's making us. And he put a born-on date, and he put a dead date on me also. Uh, and, 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 and because the Bible says he created me before the foundations of the world. I don't know what society has told you, but you're not an accident. I don't know what mom and daddy told you, but you're not an accident. God had a plan and a purpose for your life, everybody. Come on now. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Come on, do I got some more on that? It says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days, all of my days were ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to pass. God's not scurrying around in heaven going, oh my, I didn't expect Sam to be born yet. What am I going to do with Sam's life? No, before we were born... He had a plan and a purpose. The problem is we're born into a sinful world, and the world likes to detour. The world likes to abort those plans that God has. But I'm telling you, you might be sitting here going, yeah, I should let God write my life, but I've been writing it so much I've messed it up. How many know God is bigger than the bad chapters of our life? Right, everybody? Right? And he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Do you know what that means? God's thinking about me. God's thinking about you. Wow. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. See, this chapter, this idea, what Rahab says to me helps me be reminded that no matter what times in my life I've taken the pen, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but is there... I wonder if I'm the only guy that's ever written a chapter or a sentence or two about my life and, and, and it wasn't what God wanted to write in my life. Come on, everybody. But see, God has the ability to bring your story back with his great story. He has the ability, what the devil meant for bad, God will turn it around and leverage it for his good, right? Her story reminds me, put it on the screen, God knows where you're at and you are not forgotten. There's somebody in this room today. There's somebody watching online today. You need to be reminded. You've been searching for God. You've been pressing in. Maybe you've been praying. Maybe you've been wondering. Maybe you wonder why you feel like God's abandoned you. God wants you to know you are not forgotten. He knows right where you're at. And it's that reason that you're here and hearing this message today. Think about it. This lady is living in Jericho. Jericho is very distant from God. They worship pagan idols. They're, they're satanic, occultic kind of things going on there. They're opposed to God's people. But God knows where you are, even when you don't know where he is. 
Her house is in Jericho. They're going to go attack Jericho so they can take possession of the land. And here's what the Bible says about her. Joshua chapter number 2. Verse number one, it says this, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered into the house of a prophet. Now listen, of all the places, they could have entered into Jericho. Of all the places. See, God looked down and seen Rahab's heart. I don't know if she was searching. I don't know what prayers she might have been praying. I don't know how many times maybe she cried out because she was so disappointed with her life. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But somehow God allowed the people of God and the prostitutes path the cross for such a time. And they went and they entered the house of the prostitute. Now, most of the time you'd get your church membership taken away from you if you showed up at a prostitute's house. How many know what I'm talking about, right? But her name was Rahab, and they stayed there. Now, there's a whole lot more to that. I don't have time to deal with on this day. You can read it. There's the scripture references. My point right here is she didn't find Jesus. She didn't find God. I grew up in church. We used to sing this song in church that uh, we were grateful for how, G, how we found Jesus. And I got to realize, and that's not biblical. I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know where to look for Jesus. I didn't know there was a Jesus. Rahab didn't know that there even was a Jesus. When I was a little kid, uh, some of you have heard my story. My dad left when I was five years old, and, and he was my hero. And I'd never heard of God. I'd never heard of Jesus. And at five years old, when my dad left, I became this very fearful, very timid, very depressed little boy. I didn't know there was a God that would come into my life. I didn't know there was a Jesus that would, that, that would come in. I didn't know there was a, a God that the Bible described as the father to the fatherless. I, I didn't know that. But because of some people, God sent some people my way because he had my name and number. Because, right everybody? And Rich and Juanita, you've heard me tell the story. They took me into their house every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And they began to tell me about Jesus. Here's the thing I want you to know. We don't find Jesus. Jesus has already found us, already paid for our sins, already redeemed us, already given grace. Now all we got to do is say, sign me up Jesus, right? It's water baptism, so it reminds me of this story of the town drunk. You see, we think we're finding Jesus when we come to church. No, Jesus already found us. Before our days were ordained, before the foundations of the world, the town drunk, he's watching the preacher baptize people out in the river from his church, and people are getting baptized, and the town drunk kind of comes stumbling down. The preacher thinks, hey, this is a good time to get the town drunk baptized. So he's drunk, so he calls them down to the water. He stumbles down into the water. He says, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he dunks them under the water, pulls them back up. And the preacher says, did you find Jesus? And the town drunk said, no, I didn't. So he dunked him again a second time and brought him back up. And the crowd is cheering. Did you find Jesus? No, I didn't. So he dunked him a third time. That's what preachers do. We just keep saying the same thing until you get it. Uh, he dunked him the third time, pulled him up. And he said, did you find Jesus? The town drunk looked at the preacher and said, are you sure this is where Jesus fell in? <laughs> See, we have this wrong theology that we are finding Jesus. But Jesus stripped himself of deity, put the robe of humanity on, 
and walked where we walked and was tempted by how we were tempted and was touched with the feelings of our infirmities uh, because he wanted to find us and know what gripped our lives. Joshua chapter number 2, verse number 17 and 21 through 21. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window. Now in the Old Testament, there's shadows of Jesus. And this is a shadow of the blood of Jesus. If you were here for last week, you understand it's the blood of Jesus, everybody. And they, and they said to her, all the walls of Jericho are going to crumble. But if you'll hang this scarlet cord out your window, your place will be the only place It'll be spared from destruction. And I just want to say without really preaching all that, because I'm a little bit in a hurry today, without preaching all that, it is the blood of Jesus that while the world is falling apart around us, while there is destruction everywhere, it is the blood of Jesus. It is the grace of Jesus. It is the work of Jesus. It is the redemption of Jesus. Hey, in case you haven't heard, it's all about Jesus, everybody, and the work and the price that he paid. And, and when we symbolically put the scarlet cord out the window, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, you and I, too, will be saved. Aren't you glad for that? Now, here's what I like about her story. All right. Thank you for the three cheering section. I appreciate it. Here's what I love about the story. Here's the part we don't hear that much about her. Maybe we've heard that she becomes the great, great, great eight times grandmother of Jesus. How could a prostitute become in the family lineage of Jesus? And if that could happen, whatever you are or were or where you came from, you get the opportunity today to be in the family line of Jesus. It's interesting, there's 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. And the gospel writers open up in the New Testament and they start talking about Jesus. And most everybody, unless they're Bible nerds like I am, don't read the first chapter of Matthew. Because the first chapter of Matthew is all about, see, I see some nodding. It's, it's all about he begat, he begat, he begat, he begat, all right? <laughs> Did you understand that? <laughs> All it is is lineage. It, it, it starts listing the 42 generations. But what I found interesting when I was reading about Rahab is that in all of those 42 generations, there's only four, after all those grandfathers are listed, there's only four grandmothers that are listed. There's only four. In fact, let me prove it to you so you know I'm not making this up. Matthew chapter number 1. Watch this. Judah, the father of Perez, Perez the, uh, and uh, Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. There's the first one. Uh, Salmon, not the fish. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. There's the second one. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. There's the third one. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Anybody know who Uriah's wife is? Bathsheba. There's the four. And I got to looking at this. I said, I wonder why there's only four listed. And I started diving into the four. And all of the four tell us something about God's plan for our life. You see, if you know the story of Tamar, you can read about her in Genesis chapter number 38. But you will find that the message God sends us about Tamar is that God will forgive the deepest, darkest, evilest sin that anyone could commit. 
If you read a little further about Rahab, who we're talking about today, you will find the lesson there is that God will use you regardless of your past. And some of you are sitting on the sidelines because of some past issue that still haunts you. But Rahab is telling us you no longer have to sit on the sidelines. You are qualified because of Jesus, right? Ruth, oh, I love the story of Ruth. Ruth, first of all, she's not even Jewish, but God sends us a message that God will not leave anyone out. And Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, the message that God sends us through her is that God can heal and redeem any situation that's out there. Amen, everybody? That's the message we get. Now, i got to close this up because we got to get some people wet right now. Before she runs back into the stands, I think here's what she'd turn around and say. I think as we've made our lap with her and she said, hey, it's time for me to go back to Hebrews 11. I think she'd say some real simple things to us. If you're looking for something profound today, don't miss the profundity and the simplicity. (laughs) That just came to me. All right, everyone. I think these are the simple things she would say to us. Number one. I think she would say, God invites you to be a part of his story. And then she'd look you in the eye and say, join him. Join him. You see, God has a great story for your life. Say yes to him. Listen, I said yes to him when I was six years old, and my life has been blessed far more. Have I had trials? Yes, we're going to have trials, all that stuff. But man, my life has been blessed because I joined him. He had a great plan and purpose for my life that the enemy tried so hard to destroy. And he has a great plan and purpose for your life if you'll join him. Number two, she would say, not only that, but God wants to surprise you with his love. Why don't you accept him? Can anybody amen me on that one, right? Uh, As he surprised you, how much he loves us. See, religion will tell you how much you need to love God, but relationship and grace tell you God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Come on, everybody. It's not about how hard we love him. It's about how much he has already loved us. Number three, she would say this. She would say, God wants you to love others with your actions, so serve him. Hmm. Matter of fact, 1 John chapter number 3, verse number 16 tells us something really important. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Ooh. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. That's why this church, we're committed not to just telling people of the love of Jesus, but showing people the love of Jesus. That's why we had teams out yesterday on the streets, blessing people, helping people, because the world is sick and tired of hearing God loves them. They want somebody to show them that God loves them. Amen, everybody? Number four. The fourth one is, what's the fourth one? God signs his name to your story, so you ought to thank him. Come on, can we do that? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Give the Lord a good hand clap all over this place. Now, today's water baptism. And um, it's a chance where when we ask you to, if you want to commit your life to the Lord, people in in the dark room will raise their hand and we'll pray. It's a private moment. But those private moments eventually become public moments. And we need to publicly proclaim, I'm living for Christ. It's like the little boy. The little boy said it best. He said, I got saved, now I need to be advertised. (laughs) Right? (laughs) 
<laughs> he meant to say baptized, but I think his message is good. But what it does is it outwardly symbolizes that we are now covered in him, that we are dead to the past and resurrected in him. It's death, burial, and resurrection, everybody. It, it's, a, it's a public proclamation. And, and, and let me just say this to wrap up a loose end I said. Not long ago, I did a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And one of the first churches that we dealt with was the church of Ephesus, that they had lost their first love. And the instruction that Jesus gives back to those that have walked away or lost their first passion or love for God, he says, it's time for you to redo your first works. You see, there's those in this room that maybe you were baptized as a child. Maybe you were baptized as an adult. But somewhere in your relationship, it it really, he wasn't the priority in your life. Maybe you've come here today and you're like, man, I want to be passionate about God. And, and you don't have to get baptized to go to heaven, all right? But, but maybe God wants to do something through your obedience by teaching you how to hear his voice even when it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Maybe there's somebody in the room today that says, you know what? I need to redo my first works. I want that passion to burn in me again. And the Bible tells us in Revelation we can redo our first works. Get back to those places. So before you get ready for baptism, uh, uh, let me give you just a couple of points to consider. Let me talk to you about the the preparation. And, And here's the preparation. The Bible simply says we need to repent and then we need to be baptized. In other words, we need to give our life to Christ. We need to become Christ followers. And the Bible, now sometimes church makes that very difficult. Religion really makes that difficult because it's all about what you look like, talk like, act like, all of those things. That's religion. Religion is always telling you what you got to do to get to Jesus. Grace is telling you what Jesus already did to get to you. And and so it's just to repent and be born again. And the Bible says, if we'll confess with our mouth that he is Lord and believe in our heart, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so so that's the spiritual preparation. But you might be here going, well, Ken, I didn't come prepared to be baptized. Uh, The physical preparation. Well, we got you covered on that one, everybody. We got these nice little bags that we'll give you. And in these bags, there is a brand new pair of shorts. There's a cool t-shirt that looks like this that I'm wearing. Dun-da-da-da! There will be a brand new towel. There will be uh, uh, a lunch card for a free steak dinner after church today. (laughs) You didn't believe that part, right? (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, that wasn't true. But anyway... So we got you covered. And you say, well, I wanted my family to see me be baptized. Have you heard of this thing called the Internet? It's this really cool thing. If you got an iPhone, hand it to one of us. We'll take a million pictures of you, and we'll post it for you even, and everyone can see what's going on in your life. In other words, the preparation, we got you covered today. And if you're not serving God and you want to serve God, we're going to get that base covered here in just a minute also. Number two is the pattern. What is the pattern? of water baptism. How do you guys do it? Well, first of all, the pattern is our model is Jesus. How many know Jesus did it? Jesus was baptized and he didn't need to be baptized. And we baptize, as you can tell, there's nothing sacred or holy about this water. And, And we have warmed it up. I won't tell you how it started or where it is now, but we did warm it up, everybody. It was just above freezing when it started. 
So it's warmer than that, I want everybody to know. Somebody thought, man, the power of God really hit me when I got baptized. No, it was the cold water, I'm telling you. But we baptize, we don't sprinkle, and those that do, whatever, that's, we, we immerse. It's by immersion, not submersion. I hear people say, how does that church baptize? Well, they submerge. No, we don't submerge. Submerge means you dunk something and don't bring it back up. I mean, glad we don't baptize like that, right? I mean, if you want a fast-track ticket to heaven, just talk to us on the side, you know, whatever. But it's immersion. It's, it's you go down. It's a symbolic of a watery grave. I'm dead to the past. I'm being resurrected into Christ. And let me just say something without sounding too spooky. We've literally, every time we do this, we hear of incredible stories of something supernatural that happened in somebody's life that went down. And they've been struggling with an addiction. They've been struggling with unforgiveness. They've been struggling with something. And the moment they, commit, the moment they submitted their life to water baptism, it's like those things just came off of them. The thing they've been struggling with spontaneously, instantaneously. That doesn't happen in everybody's life, but what if it's ready to happen in yours? Mm. All right. And so we won't hold you down. Uh, there might be a couple guys around here we'll hold down a little longer. I'm not sure, but uh, let me show you one more thing and then we're ready. In the Old Testament, last week on Easter Sunday, I preached about the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Old Testament, when Joshua and his men, they had sent him over to Rahab's place before they went over to conquer the promised land, they had to walk through the Jordan River. And the Jordan River was at flood season. And he told the priest to take the ark. Remember, the ark is symbolic of Jesus. And when they stepped into the Jordan River to go over to the promised land with the ark of the covenant, symbolic of Jesus, the Bible tells us that the floodwaters of the Jordan rolled all the way. You think the Red Sea thing was cool? It rolled all the way back to a town called Adam. That ain't in the Bible. Oh, I'm so glad you're critical today because I got it right here. Look at <laughs> Joshua chapter number 3, verse number 15. Now the Jordan was at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away at a town called Adam. I don't know if you got the picture of that. See, when Jesus stepped into the flood of my sin, it rolled all of sin all the way back to the original sin at Adam. And then it says that the water was cut off to the place of the Dead Sea. I don't think you're hearing me preach yet. You see, when Jesus shows up, it rolls all our sin all the way back to Adam, and it cuts off the death that is waiting for every one of us. Come on, everybody. That's what Jesus does. Woo! Come on now. Oh, I want to preach that, but let's get some people wet. Number three is the last thing is the proclamation. You see, we, gotta, we, we have the preparation. We're going to pray that prayer in just a minute. And we're gonna, you're going to take care of the spiritual. We'll take care of the